Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. If you have loved ones that rely on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. With Policy Genius, you could save 50% or more by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, Policy Genius will compare prices starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to fast track your coverage with a no exam policy. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. If you have any questions, their team of licensed independent experts is on hand to help. In fact, Policy Genius's award winning service has a five star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Make today the day you cross life insurance off your list and get protection for your loved ones. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. To get covered, head to policygenius.com today. What's up, everybody? It's your boy B. Scott with the Philadelphia Eagles. I just want to thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a five-star rating. Fly, Eagles, fly. This is a Brawl Network production. You're listening to the Eagles Brawl Podcast. E-A-T-L-E-S, Eagles! Here to take you on the road to victory. It's Connor Miles, Ed Cross, Johnny Page, and Tyler Steege. And welcome, welcome to Turning the Page on the All 22 here at the Eagles Brawl of the Brawl Network. I'm here with a very special guest. Those of you that follow me on Twitter for a long time might remember uh, Tyler Jackson, who I'm with today. We actually did start our own Eagles podcast about three years ago. We were just reminiscing now. Uh, it didn't kick off like this one has. But we had some good guests. We had Kemsky. We had Fran Duffy. We had a good little run of a few episodes. Uh, Tyler's gone on to run the BGN Twitter account, which a lot of people don't know that. So I'm going to hopefully his mentions aren't on fire after this one. Uh, he does have it in his Twitter bio, so I'm not breaking any news here. And he's also sort of a sports writer for the Herald. And I didn't realize this until I until I uh, spoke to him today. He's also a member of the PW a PFWA writers as well. Uh, so he's doing very well for himself. And I haven't spoke to him on a podcast format for about three years. So firstly, Tyler, how are you? And how has it been this year covering the Eagles on the Bleeding Green account? But that's been fun. Hey, it's it's been pretty good. Yeah, it feels like we're kind of getting the gang back together. It, it's been three years. I remember the last podcast we did was after that uh, that win against the Bears back in the 2017 Super Bowl season. Seemed like we were riding high after that, and it's uh, it's been quite different since then. But yeah, it, it's been a lot of fun running the BGN account. A lot of people don't realize that uh, that kind of how I run it is a little bit differently. It's kind of like more from a, a, a fan perspective and it, it's a bit of a bit, but it's uh it's a lot of fun on game days and you get some people that go back and forth with you, but you know, that's that's kind of fandom as a whole in a nutshell. Yeah, I would say you're sort of famous in many ways. I think the BGN Twitter account during games has sort of taken off to another level. I mean, people know, a lot of people know anyway, they can tell by my accent. I'm obviously here in the UK, so I don't follow every game live. But whenever I do, whenever it's not a night game, 
um, it really does take off. I mean, those numbers go absolutely absurd. So there you go. If you're listening now and didn't know that, uh, when you're really angry on game day, make sure you uh, you can find Tyler uh, at TJackRH. So when you're really angry with a BGN Twitter account, you can always just tweet him there. I'm sure he'll appreciate the shout out uh, just there. Right. So Tyler, we're going to get into the All-22 today. So basically, this is why we started the podcast three years ago. We're both sort of tape grinders. I know you haven't done as much recently, um, but I know that Anyone who's ever followed your work over at BGN knows that um, Tyler knows what he's looking for and he knows what to look for, I should say. And he's a very, very smart individual when it comes to uh, following the NFL. Um, I've also sat down and watched a Jalen Hurts tape from uh, this this last Sunday and obviously the previous week as well. So we're going to keep it reasonably brief today. Um, we're going to basically just focus on what we've seen out of Jalen Hurts, uh, in particular this Sunday against the Cardinals in the defeat, um, and then sort of maybe branch out a little bit about Doug's uh, scheme and different parts. So seeing as you're the guest, Tyler, I will let you start. It's sort of a big picture thought. What have you made of Jalen Hurts? What did you make of his performance against the Cardinals? Sort of any big thoughts to kick us off with? Uh, you know, one thing that's really stood out to me is that he seems to take coaching really well. He seems to have learned. Uh, there are just a few numerous uh, examples one that kind of stands out to me is last week against the Saints, they, they kind of ran what's, uh, what's called a bow concept. Uh, and what it is, is, it's kind of like a high-low read. Like you have a, kind of like a shallow little hook and then a hook in between it that runs, you know, maybe 10, 12 yards, somewhere in that range. And uh, the way the Eagles ran it against the Saints, they had like a backside post route that was attached to it that, that kind of served as an alert. And it worked really well against the Saints because they ran in cover four. So both it worked like a, a Mills concept. And those familiar with Mills, you know, you have typically two receivers off to one side and the inside receiver runs a deep dig and the outside receiver runs a post and, and the safety will bite down. So the outside uh, cornerback usually has outside leverage. So you can just kind of throw to the receiver and hit them there. Well, last week against the Saints, Hurts, came off that like his, his reads were to the to the front side and uh all all three of those players like the the bow concept and then the uh the deep post were to the right and he just he looked at it and he came back over and he threw it to goddard on a play that I, it looked like goddard kind of threw his man out of the way they picked up the first down it was deep in their own territory oh this uh this past week hurts actually threw the post they ended up being late on it didn't connect but it seems to me like he's actually he's seeing these things and he's learning and he's taking tape uh you know, to me, I don't think he's really seeing the middle of the field that well, and I don't think the coaching staff necessarily <laughs> kind of wants him throwing over the middle of the field. But it's something they need him to do in these these last two weeks uh, to to see exactly where he stands, to see if he can actually do it. I've seen some of his passes have been high over the middle, and that's not really irregular. I know Carson Wentz had that issue a lot, and it was a bit of a mechanical issue too over his first his rookie season. Uh, but they were able to kind of patch things down a lot during the second year or before the second year. But yeah, he uh, it, it kind of has some things to work out, and mostly you, you kind of want to see how it goes over the middle and see if he can speed up that processor. But uh, largely, a lot of what you've seen, all things considered, has been I've been positive. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's really really interesting. Um, I broke down that play actually on my Twitter recently. Um, I, on that um sort of bow concept you spoke about, where they hit the post over the top, I'm interested to get your thought on this because one of the issues that and it's not an issue I have with Jalen Hurts, it's sort of just the way it is, is arm strength. And I think actually he's got a pretty good arm. Um, I think it's fine. But I guess the difference in what makes the top top quarterbacks, where I've seen some talk recently, like you can't question Hurts' ceiling. Why? 
Um, why are we putting a sort of limit on his ceiling already? I'm not really doing that, but I guess the issue I have is to some extent is if you're armed, if you just simply don't have a top arm, like you get guys like Josh Allen that come out um, who obviously have an exceptional arm at downfield throws and went to an extent, I think less so this year because of his mechanics, but he does have a very, very good arm. That post that he throws to Rager, although he is a beat late, and I think you could argue that quicker processing um, will speed that up. And what we mean by that is coming off what's not there and getting to what is there. So coming off the short route and getting backside to the post. I actually, there's a part of me that thinks that was more of an arm strength flaw than a processing flaw. Because actually, I think when you look at when he released the ball, I think if he puts the ball right at the back of the end zone or he throws it with a slight bit more velocity, I think actually that pass gets completed even though he's a bit... I think even you're Mike muted. So it's an interesting part. I'm interested in sort of what your take is on that. Do you see that as more of a flaw of him processing? Or do you see it as actually like an arm strength issue? Or do you think like most things, it's a little bit of a combination of the two? Yeah, I, uh, it's kind of hard to, to tell. Like, I, I think that maybe if he's sooner to it, he probably hits it. Uh, it's overall, I don't think his arm's been terribly impressive, which, uh, arm strength is kind of like its whole conversation on its own, like, even for as strong as what he is. But I, I, I do think his processor, processor that is a little bit slow. Like, even you know, watching his college tape, like, it's, he didn't really have to think too much, and and that's been a lot of the uh, the knocks on some of the Lincoln Riley quarterbacks that have come out of Oklahoma, is uh, things are schemed open pretty well for them. I mean, you go back to Baker Mayfield, you know that yeah they've had guys like uh, like D.D. Westbrook and C.D. Lamb. They've always been running open, so it's basically just you know, throw to a spot, and they they never really played good defenses in the Big Twelve Conference. So it's always been kind of hard to evaluate those quarterbacks. But uh, you know, it's kind of like a similar situation where now Doug Peterson has kind of made things really easy for him. They're they're bunching some route concepts together. They're getting it in the same sight line, so he's not having to go through progressions. But I, I do, I really do feel like he he kind of has a slower processor at this point. Now, I, I also think it's it's kind of key to mention right now that you know he didn't get a preseason, he didn't really get a, a mini camp or anything like that. So this is literally his first NFL action. This is the first time he's seeing defenses like this. So it's uh, it's definitely it's going to be a lot different for him. It's going to take some time to to kind of get up to that. And you know, to me, like knowing where to go and seeing the mistakes he made on tape against the Saints, uh, you know, that he should have let that ball go, or that he should have thrown that there, or he should have been more decisive. To see that week to week. It, it kind of uh, it's encouraging to me that that he's at least you know he's learning I mean, you know maybe next week he he throws that sooner or he hits it provided they run it which I, I think will be kind of hard to to see that because I think that if you run a play if you put it on tape two weeks in a row and you get good looks out of it like they have you know teams are probably gonna scheme for it even though with Dallas's defense being as awful as what it is it might be hard for him to stop it. But I, I think for right now, it's a slow processor, which is why we kind of need these last two games. And really, it probably would have been ideal if they had benched Wench sooner so we'd get an even better idea of where he stands and, and just how he learns and grows from week to week. But in my opinion, I, I, I did see I did see improvement there just uh, you know, going back. And he, it seems like he's really learning from what he's shown and what he's seen on tape. Yeah, I said that on Twitter yesterday. It's sort of maddening to me, actually. We only get four games to see him. Um, I really do wish we had more now. And I wasn't someone that was screaming to bench Wentz, but I think in hindsight, looking back, 
if um, they knew, oh, I guess they coach him every week, Jalen Hurts, they should have been able to see what he can do. They should have put him in earlier. And I get this a lot on Twitter as well. Um, people sort of, I mentioned this a lot about how Doug's offense has changed with a backup quarterback. And we can touch on that a little bit as well. And I sort of say that a lot of this is one read and you mentioned it there. And it is, I mean, the spot throws were insane at the weekend. I think they had six or seven plays where basically you just said single hire. The second you see it, just throw a go rope to the outside receiver. And he wasn't even reading the field. I mean, there was one play to Jalen Rager where the three receivers on the left literally didn't move. Zach Ertz, Dallin Got- and Dallas Goddard just basically stood there. They knew there was no point of them even running a route in this play. They knew where the ball was going. And I guess that works when Alshon Jeffrey gets pass interference three times and makes a great catch. But if you're not elite on the outside, that's not really, a, you're going to hear this word a lot from me today, a sustainable way of playing. But that's not a knock on Jaden Hurts per se. Um, I think the coaching staff, and you mentioned to me this on Twitter, about does Doug actually like Hurts? <laughs> I think that's an interesting conversation because they make things very basic. I mean, there's a lot of one-read stuff. But people seem to see this as necessarily a criticism, and I sort of don't take it that way. I think one of the problems when Wentz was quarterback, actually, was that there wasn't enough isolated throws. There wasn't enough to find reads. And this idea, we go back to the Chip Kelly days of being a, a QB-friendly offense. That's a good thing. That's what good coaches should do. They should make things easy for their quarterback. Why would you make it harder? Look at Matt LaFleur with Aaron Rodgers at the moment. That's a pretty well-schemed uh, offense where throws are very defined. And Aaron Rodgers is one of the best to ever play the game. So I don't think it's a knock on Hurts. But I also think it's realistic, like you said to accept the fact that a lot of these routes aren't schemed open. And what we mean, what I mean by that is it doesn't mean that um, he can't read a defense. It means that if pre-snap it's this, you're going to go here with the ball. And you actually saw examples of some of the flaws with that at the weekend as well. And I broke this down with the safety that he took, where when the first read wasn't open, he wanted to go to the left to, I believe, Ertz on sort of the deep out. He completely panicked. He didn't even set his feet and then ended up throwing the ball out and taking a safety. There was also a third and six later in the game where he clearly locks onto Zach Ertz pre-snap because the way the route was called, which was an out route. And if you want some more detail on this, go to my Twitter because I broke the plays down. The play design was to get Ertz open, but the um, Cardinals had it off well and Ertz was ending up running an out route against cornerback of outside leverage. So rather than come off to his backside read, Hertz basically just threw it over um Hurts basically just threw it over Hurts' uh, head, sorry. I don't actually think he was that. I don't think that was a bad throw. I think that was a deliberate throw away. It was almost like, oh, the last minute, oh, no, this guy's not open. Let's put it out of reach so I don't get picked. So this is not a negative on Hurts. It's just where I think I'm at now. That What I really want to see, and I know Ben Solak wrote about this with BGN this week, about saying he's not ready to anoint Hurts. Firstly, just as a broader scheme of point, you never say a quarterback is good after four games ever. It's just not the way the NFL works. In fact, you need multiple seasons when they've got tape and tape and tape on you. Early signs are very, very promising. But the big thing I want to see is I want to see some late third down plays where he comes off his first read, maybe gets backside and hits someone with a deep dig over the middle, just so we can see the ability to actually throw the ball over the middle. I think you touched on this. He's barely thrown a pass in the middle of the field. I mean, it's all outside the numbers. And I think actually that sometimes comes with smaller quarterbacks as well, where it's easier for them to hit outside the numbers because there's less in their way. There's less um, blocking their vision. So that's sort of what I mean when I talk on Twitter about how Doug has done a good job defining throws for Hurts. On that note, is there anything you wanted to add particularly on that um, about sort of Doug's offense and the way it's changed under Hurts and the way he has defined throws? And maybe we can get on a little bit to how this has changed compared to how he was running it before. But have you got any thoughts on that before we sort of move on? 
Uh, you know, for me, I think it's just more of a case as to why you don't fire Doug Peterson. Uh, and, you know, I know that that train's been humming for a lot of people. But, you know, I don't think people understand the context of how hard it is to win in the NFL. And, and you know, I know the, the point to the regular seasons and, and the lack of double-digit wins, but he still gets the playoffs, and that's ultimately what matters at the end of the day. As long as you can just get in, like you have a fighter's chance. And I think he even proved that in 2018, independent of Frank Wright, independent of John Filippo, independent of Carson Wentz, independent of all these guys. They went into Chicago and – you know, at that point, that was probably the the best defense in the NFL. I think they were on historic pace, like even with turnovers, and, and they got a few in that game. And the Eagles were still able to pull it out. Uh, so I think his X's and O's are fine. Uh, you know, to me, there's also more than a coach. There's a, uh, to a coach and X's and O's, there's the ability to motivate, and that's one thing we really saw with Chip Kelly. I mean, just uh, just look at what they've been able to do this year. You know, they could have laid down and just taken it from the Saints. But they didn't. They could have laid down after they got down 16-0 against Arizona and just taken it. But they didn't. Either time they, they fought back both times. And, and really, if you look at the Arizona game, they had a solid chance to actually come away with it and, and win it. So to me, you know, coaching matters in that aspect. Again, going back to Chip Kelly, you know, I remember his last season, uh, Jason Peters, that was – it feels like the first year that he was kind of in and out of the lineup from game to game, from week to week. Uh, late in the season, I, I think he got hurt, and I asked him if he wanted to go back in. He said, no, I'm not getting hurt for this. So, <laughs> but it's, and, and, you know, you're not seeing that with the, with the team right now with Doug Peterson. It's, it's a lot different. You know, guys are still going out there. They're, they're playing. I mean, they're clearly undermanned on defense. On offense, you know, Alshon Jeffrey, he could just, you know, call it a day, like try to just stay healthy to, to maybe get a contract next year with somebody. Even though, like, uh, even best case scenario, I don't think it really works out for him. He'll probably get on somewhere, but it, he's not going to get a lot of money. But, you know, he's still out there. He's still making plays. A lot of these guys are playing hard. Jason Kelsey's out there playing with one arm, essentially. You know, they, they, to me, it's, it's been really impressive. And I think that's one thing that really goes, that's overlooked when you talk about coaching. But it, just even that, his success, like, I don't think Eagle fans realize that. Before 2017, they hadn't won a playoff game since that NFC Championship game run against Arizona. That was eight, eight, nine years. And so you get four of those wins. Well, sorry, longer than that. That was actually my first ever season yeah. watching American football because I'm a Brit. I wasn't brought up with it. I think it was about 11 years ago. I think it was 09. All right. Yeah, that's how long I've been watching it. So I remember it well. Yeah, so so and people forget that. Like it's you know we went that long without winning a game in the postseason. So a guy comes in and and you know I know three of those came in one off season. I'm mean, three came in one season, and, and just one in the following. But to me that that matters. Like that kind of you know reinvigorates a fan base. It adds a little bit of life into it. And you know I, I think what 2013 so 2014, 2015, 2016. That's three years where they didn't even make the playoffs. So I think it just puts it in the context. And in my honest opinion, if Josh McCown doesn't get hurt last year they, and Miles Sanders doesn't drop a wheel route, they probably win that game against Seattle at home. So and, and to me, that, that's a lot of Doug's coaching. Uh, I, to me, honestly, like even worst case scenario, if they had another year of kind of like this next year, like I'd probably be on the fence about firing him then too. Because I think it's so hard to find good quality head coaches and, and replace them especially after you lose them. Like like it matters, winning matters, and their ability to do so. And he's just proven that time and time again, backs against the wall, like they they can do it. Like, you know, if, if for example, if Washington loses this week against Carolina, 
Philadelphia controls their own destiny. Now, whether or not that's a good thing, you know, we could talk about it. But the thing is, with Jalen Hurts in the lineup, we're excuse me, we're seeing the same fight that we had seen from them the last two years when they were all but dead in the water. So uh, to me, that's uh, for, for Doug Peterson. That that's an encouraging sign. I, I'm I'm firmly on the Doug train. Like I think he can make it work. I've seen him make it work with numerous quarterbacks. Uh, I think kind of the failures. Not, now Doug isn't blameless, but I think a lot of the failures for the offense and what's going on this year kind of do fall on Carson Wentz. Uh, and that happens a lot with the quarterback. But the, the skill positions aren't blameless either. But for me, Doug Peterson, I I really love what I've what I've seen from him overall and. Uh, I, I think, you know, condensing things down for a rookie and making them easier. Cause it's not like they're just running slant flat or anything like that. They're running actual concepts on the outside and, uh, you know, taking advantage of, of what he can do and, and what he showed that he was able to do in college in that area of the field. Uh, just real quick, uh, I kind of want to talk about real quickly on the middle of the field stuff. Uh, one thing, like uh, we talked about his arm strength and, you know, kind of where we stand on that. I'm, I'm, a little bit on the fence with it. Uh, you know, one thing, if you, especially if you're a shorter quarterback, I think he's like six foot six one or something like that. You have to really trust the anticipation. And I'm not entirely sure that's one thing that you have to have a lot of trust in the offense to be able to hit that part of the field. If you do not have a good arm, uh, you know, Seth Galena, who works for PFF wrote a really good article yesterday about Zach Wilson and Joe Burrow. And one thing he mentioned there was one thing that worked for Burrow. He doesn't have a very good arm at all, but he's uh, basically an elite anticipator. And uh, he has really good accuracy to that part of the field. So he can trust things to develop. So when he can't fit into those tight holes, he can throw to a spot and basically trust that his skill player is going to be there. So a lot of Hurts' success, I think, is going to be dependent on that. Yeah, that's really good points as well on Doug. I mean, I you know from me on Twitter, I try and not be a reaction sort of reactionary fan. Uh, this year, I have struggled. I have struggled with Doug, and I think I've been honest with that on Twitter. And I've gone back and forth about firing him and not firing him. I think big picture, and I felt this last week, I probably wouldn't. And I think seeing the offense with Hurts has sort of reminded me that yeah, this guy can still call the play. Um, just before we move on to that point, yeah, it's a really good point in the middle of the field. I think anticipation is something Hurts just basically is inconsistent with. Some throws you see it really well, other throws you don't. As examples, again, I put one on my Twitter of him throwing out route to Jalen Rager where he anticipates it really well, but there's also examples where he doesn't do that. But I think you're right. I think in a broader picture of Doug, I think what he's done here has been pretty special. I think a lot of that comes down to what he does motivationally, to be honest. I think he's a very, very good leader that the players buy into. Um, but what he's done with Jalen Hurts schematically has been very good. And this is not a knock on Hurts. Once again, it is simple. It is one read. Now, it's quite ironic because you mentioned Slant for that because there was a play that I nearly put on Twitter at the weekend where it was third and 15. And he did just run Slant flat and Hurts took a sack. But to be honest, I get the feeling that was mainly like, just run around. I know coaches don't want that to happen, but basically take a short slant on third and 15. Just don't get picked. Hurts tried to extend it and it sort of went wrong and he took a sack. But for the most part, the concepts have been pretty good. I think there's been some good examples of some well-run concepts. Um, He's helped get guys open. I think you saw good examples of play calling against what they knew the Cardinals would do at the weekend. So a couple of good screen passes. There was a deep out or deep sort of corner route to Zach Hurts. Um, I commented on Twitter about, wow, he is wide open with Doug sort of managed to predict what this coverage was going to be and used um, a very simple concept to sort of get uh, in a lot of space. I don't want to go too big picture on this because it's sort of an all 22 point. I don't want to go too long. But I, one of the things I've struggled this year is, and my honest feeling 
uh, this is purely a personal take and people are more than welcome to disagree, but I'm interested in your point on it, is that the Eagles think Carson Wentz is incredible. And I've always thought Doug and Howie think Wentz is a top three, top five QB. And I think one of the things they've done is they've almost like, oh, he doesn't need great skill players. He can deal with this because he's that good. And he might not need the best running game because he can deal with it. He's that good. We don't need to get a guy who can carry the ball 25 times because Wentz is that good. And one of the things that's drive drove me a little bit mad this year, and I'm not asking for Wentz to have a rookie day one install type playbook because things were getting quite simple by the end of Wentz. I think Wentz just mentally zoned out, to be honest, by week 11, week 12. He just was not seeing the field here. But as Tyler just said, he blamed a lot of this year on Carson Wentz. And for a bit of context, I've known Tyler for a long time. You were a big Wentz guy like me. I mean, I was looking back through some old conversations the other day of notes of podcasts we had. I mean, we were big on Wentz. We were big Wentz fans because he was good. And I have soured on him slightly. I think you have soured on him slightly more. I guess my broader question to you is about the scheme, not necessarily Wentz. Do you, what do you think Doug was trying to do with Wentz this year schematically? And why has he changed it significantly for Hurts? Do, do you think it's a combination that Wentz just was seeing everything so badly that Doug could do nothing? But there was a lot of bland third downs. There was a, from weeks one to eight, there was a heavy emphasis on isolation routes. There wasn't easy throws. There wasn't predefined rows. A lot of the throws you're getting Hurts to do now, I see as predefined one read. Do you think there's like an arrogance of the Eagles organization as a whole that Wentz is better than they think? Um, or do you just think that sort of Wentz doesn't suit the types of plays that some of the things Hurts are doing now? I just find it interesting that we see at the weekend, we see like seven spot throws, just throw it to the guy outside in single high coverage. Yet we basically never saw that for the first 13 weeks of the season. And now you could say it's because Alshon wasn't there, but they just weren't running that kind of play. Um, so why do you think it's changed so much with Hurts? And do you think it's sort of an indictment on Wentz or do you think it's an indictment on Doug as well? Like, I'm interested in where you come down on that. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Uh, you first off, you talked about what they've uh, what they've done with Wentz. Um, I, I do. Th- I think they're incredibly high on him, and I don't necessarily think they go in with the attitude of like, okay, he can carry this or he can carry that, because in theory, they've done a they've done their due diligence to surround him with weapons. Like, you know, it, going into 2018, Mike Wallace in, in, in theory was a better player than Torrey Smith. Like it, to me, that was an upgrade at that position, which was good, you know, going into 2019, you know, getting the Sean Jackson in, in that offense, you know, that, that with Dallas Goddard uh, in, in year two and Zach Ertz and, and then all Sean, you know, back healthy, uh, you know, to me, it, it seems like, okay, like before the year, you can talk yourself into all these scenarios. Like, okay, the Eagles have done this to surround them, uh, to surround Carson Wentz with playmakers and, and talented playmakers. I mean, you know, obviously Washington wasn't the best team, but at week one, we saw exactly what they could be down 20 to nothing. They just come in and blow the doors off the, the football team. And after that, it's uh, you know everybody gets hurt. It was the same thing with Mike Wallace. I think he played two games and he was on IR, and it got so bad in 2018 that Jordan Matthews found his way back onto the team. But I, I think that you know they've went in. They they haven't. It hasn't panned out that way. But they've always tried to at least surround him with playmakers. This offseason was a little bit strange because they went in with the mentality of okay, we're going to surround him with younger playmakers, and maybe that was you know more so not just for the, uh, you know, perspective of trying to get speed on the team, but also, you know, maybe these guys can stay healthier. And that didn't necessarily work. Uh, you know, Rager was hurt at two weeks in. 
Uh, some of these other guys, Ertz was hurt uh, after a couple of weeks. And, you know, it, it's not necessarily all, all their fault. I, I don't really know exactly what's going on there. But I, I think that they've always tried to surround him. But I do think they're incredibly high on Wentz. You know, for me, for Doug Peterson to, to kind of act the way he has around Wentz, to be so hesitant to bench him, and, and even, you know, it doesn't seem like he's been too complimentary of Hurts. I, I think that they they still love Wentz. I don't know I don't know how Howie Roseman feels. It's really hard to get a gauge on uh, the front office at this point. I guess we'll get a better idea a little bit later. Or, or maybe the Hurts pick was an indictment on, on how they feel about Wentz. But uh, I've always thought that they that they've really liked Wentz, you know, that they've they kind of think that he can do all these different things, um, and putting Carson into into that mold of of doing these different things is like okay, like we feel like he can hit these receivers, and at his best, he can do all this, but it gets to be a little bit troublesome after a while. Uh, asking him to do all that and and you kind of the uh things were a little bit bland to start the year but for me where where I lost lost it on Wentz was uh you know that Thursday night game against the Giants uh the the point where he rolls out to his left and you know he throws that interception to Bradbury you didn't have to force that all you had to do is throw it away you were in plus territory you took a you probably took a field goal off the board at that point and you know that mattered they ended up winning the game but you take three points off the off the board then the next week against Dallas you know he opens up a, a two man route on third down I believe it was. So your max protection, you know, that means you only have these two routes going. If neither of these guys are open, like there's nothing there. And neither of those receivers were to the side of the field that he was when he was scrambling to the left. Well, he takes a bad strip sack instead of throwing it away when he's right there on the sideline. You know, that's uh, that's a sign of a guy that's just not, you know, taking care of the ball. And then you go later in that play, the interception, Trayvon Diggs, I think his first read was supposed to be over the middle of Dallas Goddard. And Goddard actually came open on it, if I remember correctly. He just keeps rolling to the right, throws it to uh, – throws an interception to Diggs on the pass that really had no chance of – well, if you had a chance of being completed in the end zone, it would have been miraculously – it was a really low throw. But you were in plus territory at that point. But you know, turnovers like that, like those aren't caused by scheme. Those are just – fully on Carson Wentz and in year five you fully expect those to, to kind of be out of the system you have to be smart you have to take care of the football but we just keep seeing those plays like that and you know you don't have to necessarily play hero ball all the time sometimes just living to play the next play is enough and that just doesn't seem to be something that he's kind of gotten through his head and you know it, it, it just kind of deteriorated from there of uh, you know some of those easy concepts Michael Kiss brought it up but you know, we have access to the 2018 training camp install and there's a play called gun trips, right? Flex 383, Arizona, Arizona. So what it is, is it basically has like a, a small, uh, it has two slants, like one to the inside as basically uh three receivers, right? One receiver left uh, slants to the inside slot receiver on the right slants to the outside receiver. And then two like shallow, kind of dig routes that you maybe hit five yards land. He wasn't even able to execute and throw those Uh, against Seattle. I think the third play of their first offensive drive, they ran an RPO and they got Greg Ward wide open and he just threw it in the dirt at Greg Ward's feet. At that point, you just weren't able to even execute the simple throw. So this deteriorated to that point. And to me, there's, there's a lot of mental block to it, but there's also the, uh, the, the aspect of mechanics. The mechanics are, are kind of breaking down in year five. 
And, you know, we've seen this with quarterbacks. I think Blake Bortles is probably the most notorious example where you heard every offseason with the Jaguars, his mechanics improved, his mechanics improved. And usually by week two or week three, they broke down again or any time you got to see him. And he just wasn't a functional quarterback that wasn't able to, even able to execute the the simplest throw. So there's there's a lot of layers as to why I've kind of, you know, soured on Wentz at this point. But a lot of it comes to just the way he's performing this far into his career. You know, you wouldn't expect this from a, from a fifth-year player. A lot of the mistakes that he's making, a lot of the throws that he's unable to make. And, and that's kind of where my viewpoint on him comes from. Yeah, it's good to hear that perspective as well, because I think, unfortunately, the way Twitter is now, and it's the good thing of a, uh, the podcast world, is that you can be accused of sort of a Wentz hater, or like myself, I'm very much accused of a Wentz defender. Um, but I know coming from you, and I know this honestly, because me and Tyler spoke for basically every week about three years ago, that you were very, very high on Wentz, uh, just like I was. Um, and I think it is a shame. I think personally, I struggle to to sort of comprehend that Wentz could be so bad um, even after games against Steelers and Ravens, where he looked a bit much better. But even looking back at those games, a lot of it was out of script. A lot of it was out of structure. And I think he's just struggled this year to buy into the offense. And I'm also a believer that sometimes players and coaches just don't merge well. And they, I don't give up on Wentz. I just think there's probably a very good chance um, his future lies elsewhere. And I think you're right. I think sometimes um, we've maybe got a bit too obsessed about Doug's concepts. And unfortunately, sometimes it does go down to having a quarterback that's been unable um, to basically just run the offense. I think mechanics are always an issue that we don't like to talk about. I hate talking about mechanics personally because I just don't, it's not something that I find interesting to study. I'm sort of much more of the opinion that if the ball's there and it's there on time, then brilliant. However, he gets it there, who cares? But I think the more you watch and the more you listen to other people who do understand mechanics, you do sort of get a sense that they've been wildly off this year. And I think I agree with you. I think the offense we've seen sort of the last two weeks, albeit very, very simple, um, and I think that's sort of maybe a negative aspect of what they think of Hurts. I think it's fair to say that you can't criticise what Hurts has done. He's ran what he's been asked to do very, very well. He's hit receivers in stride with anticipation most of the time. I think there's a long way to go, and I'm very, very nervous about sort of calling him a long-term starter or the franchise quarterback and stuff. I think there's a very long way to go with him as an individual. But I think you have seen some very positive throws. I mean, we haven't touched on all of her performance here, things like poise, composure. I think that's obviously something he's very, very good at. Um, he seems like a very, very calm sort of man in the pocket at times. Just his general demeanour, I think, is very, very impressive as well. What we will do, Tyler, is before we finish up, because I think we've been going on for long enough about the quarterback position, uh, if I had to be honest with you now, long term, and I haven't prepped you for this question, so this is sort of sort of no pressure. Where do you realistically, honestly think, hand on heart, someone like Jalen Hurts will be in a year's time and then maybe a few years down the line? Do you see him as that franchise quarterback? Do you think he's got enough talent if he keeps working hard? Um, if you had to honestly guess, and I'm going to ignore Wentz now because I think that might be done, um, what do you think will happen with Hurts? Not sort of in the Eagles, I mean just genuinely as a player. What do you make of him based on what you've seen? Before I answer that question, uh, I, I do kind of want to clarify when we say that Doug has simplified the offense, he's uh, it, it's more so that he's defined it for Hertz. Like, I think that at the end of the day, the route concepts are still really good. They're stressing a defense to, to, three, to three different levels of the field. So even like if it wasn't Hertz uh, running this offense, I still think it's a good offense for pretty much almost any other quarterback just based on how it gets guys open. So uh, I first wanted to make that point. Like it's it's not necessarily a when people say he simplified the offense, it's not a bad thing. It's just that he's defined where Hurts needs to go with the ball. 
Like if if you get a quarterback that's a veteran that can scan defenses, like that's still a really good offense for for them to run as well. Uh, yeah, so I'm just going to jump in there before you answer. It's sort of exactly what I said earlier. I think it's an important point to reiterate. I think the best play callers in the league right now, they define throws to their quarterback. That's what all of the best head coaches are doing. Lafleur, Shanahan, lots of others, uh, Stefanski in the Browns. Defining throws to your quarterback is not a bad thing. In fact, it's probably the best offenses in the league at the moment. Yes, you had spells where the Brading and the Mannings sort of could read defenses at a very high level, um, full field reads, get to their third, fourth progression with ease. Um, there's a lot on quarterback's plate these days. Defenses are very fast, um, very multiple, a lot of different looks being thrown at you. And sometimes the old school way of drop back and scan the field is very difficult. And I think you're completely right. Simplifying it maybe isn't the best word. What he has impressed me loads of, and again, this is not a knock on Jalen Hurts because you have to, you can't judge a quarterback outside of a scheme. You can only judge him in the scheme he's in. For example, I'm not sure Jared Goff's very good at all, but he's in an exceptional scheme, which means he'll put up decent numbers um so yeah i think you're right i think that's a really important point to clarify it's the fact that he's defined throws very well for Jalen hurts the last few weeks right sorry i'll let you go back to your final point and then we'll finish off <laughs> no and just not to to fall too deep in a rabbit hole and get philosophical but yeah that's exactly what you what you do and you know i think that now we're starting to see a lot of discourse on it on quarterbacks and you know, what matters, what makes a good quarterback, you know, do, do I think like Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo and Jared Goff and those guys are, or, or even Nick Foles to that extent. Cause I think that he kind of falls into the same category of, of a lot of those guys. Um, do I think that those are necessarily, you know, top 10 quarterbacks or do I think that their shilling really is there? Uh, not necessarily, but I think that they function really well within an offense. And, and to be honest, that's good enough to win a Super Bowl. Obviously, Garoppolo and Goff didn't finish it off, but uh, to me, to me, that's uh, that's good enough to win a Super Bowl. And I think that's probably what's going to be a perfect quarterback for Doug because Carson Wentz. I, I I think he can do all those things, but he's always been he just always seems to push back. And you know, both of you, you know, we hear from people that are close to the team, and a lot of those reports that you hear about him being uncoachable or wanting to run his own offense, there's a lot of truth to that. So, and, and while I think that, you know, here's the thing with Carson Wentz, you know, you have your guys like Mahomes, you know, your guys like, I, I'd probably put Lamar in there just because of what he can do with his legs as well. You know, Russell Wilson, Rodgers, those guys that even when the scheme and the players around them break down, they can still carry your offense. And I think that's what's so enticing about Carson Wentz is that, you know, when things break down around him, at his best, he can still carry your offense. And that's the difference between a Jared Goff, those guys that can just execute your offense, and a guy that's a true game changer as a franchise quarterback, which I think is what, what just like what you look at when you see Carson Wentz. You're like, okay, this is the guy that, that can carry me. You know, when my when my receivers aren't executing, I can do these things. Uh, you know, that Thursday night game against uh, Carolina and Green Bay, you know, Devontae Adams, a lot of those guys weren't executing, but Rodgers was, was still able to move the ball. They were able to score and get things done whenever they needed to. But yeah, that's that's definitely like the uh, the true thing. And you look you see with the Chiefs, I think the Patrick Mahomes threw three interceptions against the Dolphins and they still they were able to I think win by double digits or so or, or just basically seal the game because their margin for error is so is so huge that you know they have different parts of their offense that can pick it up. So that that's that's really what matters there. And the same thing for the Seahawks defense uh, offense even though I think it's kind of you know, shut it off a little bit. They they have a quarterback that that can carry them, that can get things done. I think that's really been more on on 
uh, display the last, like the two years before this year, whenever they were the run, run, then pass and then punt team that they were really inefficient. You know, Russell's able to kind of make up for some of those deficiencies on third down. So I think that uh, that's that's what the conversation around Carson Wentz ultimately comes down to. You know, do I have a quarterback that you know, I have to put training wheels on for, or do I have a quarterback like Wentz who, at his best, can absolutely get it done? Uh, you know, I, I think a good example of that is the second half of that Falcons game last year where everybody got hurt. It was him making play after play to make that a close game, and really the execution on Aguilar's part what lost it for him. But that, that's kind of where the discourse on, on Wentz uh, – I think that's that's really what the Eagles have to decide and why it's going to be so hard to move on from him just from just from a different aspect and, and point of view uh, on Hertz. Sorry, I don't really. I don't hear what. Oh, Siri, there. I don't really see a franchise quarterback. I, I think he could be a you know, maybe something like uh like those other guys like like Goff and and Garoppolo. I think a lot of that's going to depend on his ability to to really hit throws over the middle of the field because that's one thing that Shanahan schemes open really well as you, you always saw like Devo Samuel or somebody coming on and over coming through the sort of that 12 to 15 yard intermediate range and and they're able to hit them in stride and get yards after the catch and I think they've done a little bit of it with Ayuk although I think he's more so you know one of those guys that get the ball to behind the line of scrimmage in some format at this point but you know if if he ends up with uh Somebody that's willing to go with that sort of system, if it, you know they trade him or whatever, I think that he definitely has the ability to excel there. I don't necessarily think that that's going to be what Doug Peterson wants to do. You know, he's not really uh, his offense is a lot different. You know, when when you strip it down to it, he's uh, he's a West Coast based guy. You know, that comes down to the timing, precision, different things like that. Uh, so to me, that's. It's going to be different than you know the McVay Shanahan, and I think there are things you can adopt from that, adapt from that, and maybe Doug does. You know, in my opinion, he's always been a coach that's been willing to to do things that have worked, and I think the Nick Foles Chip Kelly thing is a prominent example of that. You know, hey, we're we're going to do what works, and and even with Hurts right now, you know, he's doing what works, and I again I've posed the question: you do they like him because of that, but. Uh, I don't necessarily see a, a long-term starter. I think that he's probably going to show enough, especially with his legs, uh, to be able to to kind of convince a lot of fans, to convince a lot of people, and maybe he even wins some games. But I, I don't really see it. A lot of his success is, is really unsustainable. You see a lot of it coming on third down right now. And that was one of the knocks on the 2017 Eagles. They were – I don't know what uh, Hurts' third down percentage is, but I know that most of his big plays – has sort of come on third and fourth down. Uh, just for context, it's I think the Eagles in 2017 were like a 44% third down conversion team, which is nuts. I think the highest of all time was like the 2009 Saints. They were a bonkers 58%. But it's it's just that's just hard to I don't know what the what the league average usually is from year to year. I'd say it's probably somewhere between 30 35% if I had to guess off the top of my head. But you know, if that's where a lot of his success is coming right now, it's going to be hard to to see him to envision him sustaining that. I think that is a excellent way of finishing, Todd. I think you basically summarised sort of my thoughts as well. So I'm not going to go into great detail. I think we're very much on the same page. I think I like a lot of what Jalen Hurts has done. I think, as you said, he showed that he can run an offense. He showed he can um, run Doug's offense very well. My sort of 
underlying fear at the back of my mind is that Wentz has still got a lot more talent and some, he'll go somewhere else and show it off. And like you, I'm, I need to see more from her. So when people talk about what I just, there's only so much I think you can define Reed, especially as you said, in the West Coast offense. I don't think Doug wants to have to define every read for his quarterback a lot of the time. Um, I think, as you said, when we talk about being unsustainable, we mean a lot of the success coming on sort of late downs. We're also talking about the fact that there's barely no throws over the middle at the moment, which you're basically ignoring 30% of the field on every single throwing down. I also think teams will get more wise to him as a runner in terms of spies and read option and stuff. Um, but I do think he's a very good runner, but I don't think he's like a Lamar Jackson runner anywhere near that can sort of carry an offense via the running game. I think it's going to be very, very interesting to follow the next two weeks. I'd like you. I wish we had a few more weeks, but this is what the Eagles have done. They've put themselves in a bit of a tricky hole. Um, but we will leave it there. So massive thank you to Tyler for joining us. I'm sure you'll hear him on here again because I'm sure anyone that's listened to this whole thing would agree with me. He knows his stuff, which is lovely to talk to someone who does because a lot of rubbish on Twitter these days. If you missed it earlier on, follow him at TJackRH and make sure you tell him how annoying he is when he runs a bleeding green Twitter account. I'm at Johnny Page Knight and I'm sure I'll be back next week uh, with a recap of the Dallas game. Uh, so take care, everyone, and I will speak to you all soon. What's going on, everybody? It's... Eagles Brawl co-host Connor Miles. I just want to let you know about our partnership with DraftKings. Football is here, and so is your shot at millions. Thanks to our sponsorship with DraftKings, all new players can play for free for millions with your first deposit. So let me just let you know how it works real quick. So you go to DraftKings, and you create your first ever DFS account with DraftKings. You make a deposit, minimum $5.00. And DraftKings will credit your account with a free entry to numerous of contests that can win you millions. Just go to dkng.co slash brawlpod to play. That's dkng.co slash b-r-a-w-l-p-o-d to play. Quick, Act quickly. This offer won't be around forever. Minimum $5 deposit. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details and go over there and sign up and support your favorite Eagles podcast, Eagles Brawl. What's going on, everybody? It's Connor Miles, co-host of the Eagles Brawl here. I just want to give a quick shout-out to one of our sponsors. That's Manscaped. Go ahead. The holidays are here. It's time to get your loved ones trimmed and nicely trimmed that is by going to manscaped.com and using promo code BRAWL that's B-R-A-W-L to get 20% off your order plus free shipping you know it he knows it he needs to trim up go to manscaped.com get 20% off your order and free shipping when using promo code BRAWL B-R-A-W-L Support your favorite Eagles podcast, Eagles Brawl, when purchasing an item off of Manscaped.com and also take care of that person you love. Kmart announces the Freedom Store is closing forever. Millions of dollars in inventory must be sold. Storewide discounts up to 75% off. Every department is on sale. All fine jewelry, fashion apparel, footwear, toys, health and beauty aids, and cosmetics are now on sale in-store. Everything must go. Nothing held back. Selling to the bare walls. Even store fixtures are all for sale. Shop now for best selection only at the Kmart store in Freedom at 1702 Freedom Boulevard. It is business as usual at all other Kmart stores. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.